that at some point the only thing we know is we won't be here someday. You know what I mean? And yet we keep on living, right? So at some point I realized like all life was incompatible with life. (laughs) So like, why be upset about it? This is the beauty, right? Like, that's not sad. Like, that's like, it's like the defiance of hope and the bravery of love that allows us to keep walking and keep going on. From Life Atelier Studio, it's real with Diane McDaniel. Stories of adversity, resilience, creativity, and transformation. I'm Diane McDaniel. And on today's show, I'm speaking with Abigail Wald, founder of the Yes Snack Bar and mentor at Real Time Parenting. Abigail talks about the serious health challenges faced by her two young sons and how these experiences of adversity spurred her entrepreneurial spirit and led her to spin straw into gold by creating two new enterprises. Abigail also talks about how the parenting tools she learned to use helped her to achieve her lifelong goal of teaching people to communicate effectively and leaving the world a little better off than how she found it. Thanks, Abigail, for joining me today. Can you introduce yourself and tell us something about you that's important for us to know? Sure. My name is Abigail Wald, and it's very important for you to know that it's my birthday today. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Happy birthday. Thank you. I think it's a pleasure to spend it with you. (laughs) I feel very flattered. Thanks. (laughs) You and your husband are the parents of two boys. Tell us a, a bit about the health challenges that they've faced. My first son was diagnosed with having a major congenital heart defect when he was five months in utero. So we were in the room to do the 20-week scan, and the technician was chatting us up, and she was like, oh, cool, where do you guys live? Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, Oh, and that was it. And that was the moment. It just, everything grew quiet. And we kind of looked like this isn't really happening, right? All of a sudden, she left, and more people came in, and words were thrown around. They told us his condition was incompatible with life. Mm. But maybe he could be okay, but the best-case scenario would be open-heart surgery at birth. They really weren't sure. They thought it was this one thing, which it was. It was it's a condition called Tetralogy of Fallot. Uh, which is really four different heart conditions. Mm. Um, So it's an overriding aorta, a huge ventricular septal defect, and uh, hypertrophy of the right ventricle, and then pulmonary stenosis uh, or atresia. And in our case, it was almost atresia, so like a very, very tiny pulmonary artery Mm. um, that wasn't really functioning that well. But we had somewhat of a pulmonary artery, which was good because you can have none and then you get these collaterals that are even much harder to deal with. So actually, he was like moderate, moderate to severe, but but definitely like fixable. Mm-hmm. Although we didn't know, you know, and you never know. I mean, I've known other kids who've had m- more minor heart things that have gone in and stuff happens in the surgery. And, you know, you just you don't know. So they were very clear with us that they didn't know what would happen. 
it was devastating at first. It was yeah. really devastating. Um, How did you get the courage to go on? Well, I had no choice. He was growing in my belly. I remember when it first happened, I went into the bathroom at Cedars-Sinai, where I was. I went in the bathroom and I closed the door and I remember, I, kn- I know exactly what I was wearing. I remember what my hair looked like. I remember that it's like seared in my brain. And I looked in the mirror and I just remember thinking, no, no, snap out of this. This is you. This is real. As if it was like I was looking from the other side, you mm-hmm. know, like like my soul was like had like disembodied and like was looking down on me going, get back in your body like he needs you. You're here. This is actually happening. This is the story that you're telling. This is your life. Right. And so I just had to show up. And it was actually a really beautiful moment that happened they were talking and all these words were swirling about and they told us like his condition was incompatible with life. We didn't know what to do. Like they were like, you could terminate. And we were like, what? You know, like it was crazy. And, and so I had a moment where I just drowned everybody else out. I put everybody on mute in my mind and I looked at the baby and I, and I asked the woman, I said, can you please put the scanner on him? I want to see him. Mm -hmm. And she put the scanner and I said, like, I literally asked him in my belly. I didn't know if it was a boy or girl, actually, in that moment. And I said, baby, I said, I need to know, are we going to go do this? Like, can you do this? Can you make it through? Are you going to be okay? Mm. And his face turned right to me. Mm. Like, immediately, he looked full frontal and did not move. And I saw his face And it was like, we had this like three seconds of just like me hearing him. And it was like my first moment as a mother because it was like, oh, I'm not just like carrying a baby. Like, you know, at first you're just like a pregnant lady. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't have this connection with the baby in the same way. It's like the baby's like your baby, do you know? But it was the first moment where it was like, it wasn't about me. Mm -hmm. I was like communicating with this other person. And I was like, are we going to do this? And he looked at me and I felt this clear yes. And I remember saying to my husband, like, okay, we're gonna do this. He's got this, like, he wants to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we went ahead and we did actually do a number of genetic tests and we were kind of trying to figure out like what we were dealing with. And it turned out in our case to just be the heart mm-hmm. and there could have been other issues they weren't sure, but. We were pretty sure it was just that, and we felt like, okay, this is our ride. Buckle up, baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> you knew it was going to be a, a hard ride, and, and so he had, he had surgery immediately upon birth, right? He came out and had to go into the NICU right away. Yeah, and then he had his first surgery at six days old, and then another cath procedure at five months old, and then a another surgery, heart surgery, open heart surgery at six months old, and then another heart surgery, open heart surgery at nine years old. Tell me a little bit about your other child. My other son was monitored for health issues when he was uh, in utero, and thankfully he did not have a heart issue. Yeah. And then he wound up having an encephalitic reaction to his 15-month DTaP shot. We were not expecting that. That yeah. was um, really out of the blue. There wasn't much to do.
do. It was, uh, he lost his speech and um, kind of became really foggy and couldn't look at light and couldn't really look me in the eyes anymore. And uh, he was still walking and functioning and eating for the most part, but he had like a fever for 11 days and he screamed for the first day. I mean, literally like two and a half hours, he did not stop one high-pitched whale scream that started two minutes after the shot. Hmm. I didn't know at the time that that basically meant his brain was swelling. I just didn't know what that meant. We Hmm. just thought like, what's happening? Like what happened to him? And so it was like a whole different ball game because while for the heart surgery, what was amazing is the medical community was amazing and they were incredible and we were like loving modern science and it was beautiful. And then here was this other situation where we came in pro-vaccine, excited to do all the vaccinations. And then when my son had this response, which was just a simple body response. I mean, not simple because the body's not simple, but suddenly the medical community freaked out because of all the politics of that stuff. And so they didn't know how to help us and couldn't deal with the fact that there was this reaction. The only answer was wait for a few years and then you can get services for him being autistic. And we were like, what? He's not autistic. Like, What's happening? Mm-hmm. So I did a ton of research and basically realized that if this was inflammation in his brain and likely in his gut and in his body, all I could do was try to take the inflammation down when he was only 15 months old. I didn't know what to do to take it down. I mean, modern medicine had no answers for us. We went to neurologist after neurologist and basically it was like, well, we don't really understand the brain. Yeah, it was so intense. It was so intense. And and there was just no answer. I just knew, you know, you know, as a mother, like, something's deeply wrong. You know, here was this child who'd been so bubbly and talked all the time and made jokes when he was 15 months old and suddenly was just like, uh. And I, I was devastated. The heart thing was easier because even though it was obviously huge, it was weird. Like, on the outside, there wasn't, like, any obvious sign like he was still my baby and I could talk to him and you know what I mean and and everybody acknowledged like yes this is a really big deal and we're going to take care of you and here it was like we don't know what you're talking about Mm. and then it was like well there's nothing to help with and it was just so weird and it was the brain and then it was like here's a neurologist saying well we don't really know how the brain works and I was like oh my god like this is even worse than the heart and so it was really strange it was just this like landing in this dark world. And all I could do was do what I could, which was everything. I did everything. I did. I went to every regular medical doctor. I went to every alternative doctor. I did herbs. I did just anything I could. I mean, you, you know, the way you would when mm-hmm. there's no answer and it's your child, right? You right. know? Mm-hmm. It got so crazy. I went at some point to somebody who like prayed for his spirit to heal him from the other side. I was like, that's fine. Go ahead. Like, right. we ain't got no other answers. Like, let's do it. I mean, I did I did anything. I did crazy stuff. I did stuff I didn't believe in. I did, I did you know, 
medical testing up the wazoo. I did, I did everything I could. And the only thing that I really came to pretty early on, somebody said, well, you should remove gluten and dairy. And I thought, oh, that's crazy. Like I could never feed my child. What are you talking about? What do you feed a child? Mm-hmm. I was sort of so offended, not by them, but by the idea that like, oh great, like I'm already dealing with this really hard circumstance and now you're going to make my life harder. Mm. I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. And then at some point when I realized like, wow, this is not going away. After a couple of weeks, I thought, well, let's try it. And I pulled gluten and dairy and immediately within like 24, 36 hours, his face brightened a little bit and he started to almost look at me and almost talk. And I thought, okay, wait, this is nuts. And I asked my husband, I was like, do you see this? He's like, yeah, yeah, he's getting better. It's over. I was like, okay. And so the next day we just ate like whatever we ate and immediately he was gone again. And I thought, oh my God, this is so weird. And I went back and forth, back and forth. Cause at heart, I like science. I like the idea of experimenting. I don't have the true science on this. I don't think anybody does yet. I I only know what happened in my family anecdotally as we made experiments. Mm -hmm. I wound up realizing that, yeah, we had to pull gluten, we pulled dairy, and then soon that became soy and corn, and soon that became sugar, because that's inflammatory. And all I was doing was, I'm gonna pull every possible inflammatory source from him, from the body. I got rid of all the chemicals in the house as much as I could. I just cleaned everything up. And within six to nine months, he was pretty much back. Mm -hmm. And listen, who's to say, right? Would it have just happened in time? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You can't do an A-B experiment there. No, but if I had to do it all over again, I'd do the same exact thing because it worked. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You've faced some pretty significant adversity with uh, your children when they were young, um, when you were feeling just excited about being pregnant. You found out your son had a condition that was incompatible with life. You, after lots of success with being pro (laughs) all the medical interventions and and having good luck with the medical interventions that you had with your first son, your second son develops a condition and you really had to, you didn't get a lot of help there, you really had to search for it yourself. Had you faced any sort of significant adversity before in your life that helped you to face these challenges? The first thing I want to say is that one of the realizations that came to me over time as I was dealing with this, and I I think it's a slightly different issue, it's sort of more my realization on the other side of all of this. I used to wonder like, okay, well, I was only brave going through this because I had to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it landed in me and either my kids and, you know, you love your children. You know what I mean? Like... You need to do anything for kids. And so I used to think, well, I wouldn't have gone through this if I hadn't had to. But but then I realized, well, first of all, that's not necessarily true, right? Because there's people who have a hard time sort of meeting the challenge, right? Yeah. That, that happens. But then also, I guess, you know what? Like, 
these challenges, they're just my challenges. These were just the challenges that had my name on them. But like everybody, and my kids' names, you know, but everybody has challenges. And like we all fall in love with people and build businesses and build homes. And the reality is like, we know that at some point, the only thing we know is we won't be here someday. You know what I mean? And yet we keep on living, right? So at some point I realized like, all life was incompatible with life. (laughs) So like, why be upset about it? Hmm. This is the beauty, right? Like that's not sad. Like that's like, it's like the defiance of hope and the bravery of love that allows us to keep walking and keep going on. I was fascinated with alchemy in college. And when I go back to my childhood, like a lot of it was spent spinning straw into gold. I'm really obsessed with this idea that like you get handed this messy pile of yuck. How do you shine it and shine it and shine it through showing up each day so that it becomes a diamond? So for me, adversity, it sparks my curiosity and it sparks the fight in me where I think, are you kidding? Did you just say we're going down? No, we're not going down. Mm-hmm. You know, my response isn't usually like, oh, I guess this isn't going to work. My response is like, are you kidding? Did you just tell me that's not going to work? Oh, wow. I'm going to have a lot of work to do. (laughs) That's just how I'm built. It spurs you on. Yeah, it angers me. Mm -hmm. And it it builds my fire. And it makes me want to prove myself that I can do this. And, And the reality is there are certain things that would take me down. And thank God I haven't faced them, right? Yeah. Luckily enough, I've had a lot of adversity, but I've had adversity that I've been able to transform. And so I'm blessed enough to be able to say my adversity has only been a gift, but I know there are kinds of adversity that are not. That's right. Yeah. You were able to manage your adversity and to spin it into gold. Yeah, and to be lucky enough to scream for help and and have help come. There were many people I met, like none of this happened alone, you know, it was meeting people and connecting with people and them sharing with me and me learning and me having the ability to go inside. I think my own intuition is a huge guide for me. And so when I get lost, when I get overwhelmed, I really listen to my heart. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but it says go left. And I'm like, okay, okay, we're going left. Kind of like when you asked the the developing fetus, yeah, are we going to do this? Yeah, I think I have that tendency to climb in and hear a voice and just trust it and so far you know today i'm 49 (laughs) actually today literally today so far so good i feel like i need to tap on some wood here with these two boys what kind of parenting challenges did you face (laughs) what kind of resources (laughs) did you need that you didn't feel were available to you So here's the thing, right? You would think after we were done with all that, it would just be like regular parenting would be like, whew, a breeze, right? But I was shocked to find that regular old parenting was the thing that almost brought me to my knees. A kid who couldn't sleep, just how much children needed and how many feelings they had, right? I really met my match in 
the sibling rivalry and all the feelings my oldest son had, I think from having gone through everything he went through, like this sounds horrible, but I'm just going to be really honest and say for the first couple of years, like I thought it was my story what he had gone through Mm, mm -hmm. and it took me a really long time to realize oh this is his story too because at first again they're they're babies and so after a while it became clear like oh he's had to fight for his life and you know maybe his constant need to dominate and win like he's made of the same stuff I am I mean that kid is a fighter he is a warrior and Mm -hmm. you know he's also very sensitive he was challenging for me uh at first and he's a strong-willed kid which i now see as a complete blessing but in the beginning like all the regular parenting stuff i was totally unprepared plus i was an only child and i didn't grow up around other kids i always had associated with adults i didn't really understand children i just knew i wanted to be a mom Mm -hmm. i found myself quite devastated frankly Mm. um in the early days of parenting and I didn't also realize how depleted I was from the fight of what we had been through. I thought, oh, well, that's over. Okay, great. Let's get back to just nursing, you know? And I didn't realize how much of a toll it had taken on me psychologically Mm -hmm. um, and how kind of keyed up I was, you know? And I also think it's true, like what people say, like you can have postpartum depression and not know until years later. And I think both times I had a not crazy but i had some ppd again it's not anything i realized until much later so those first few years i'm having trouble parenting and so what do i do i decide to start a food company because that's what you do when you're having trouble parenting i didn't really decide to start a food company what happened was i was making all this crazy food because of the dietary restrictions that my youngest son was on to heal and i didn't want him going through it alone I thought you know let's do this as a family like and as and the more I learned about food and nutrition I was like wait a minute we're not gonna just feed him this stuff. like why are we eating this inflammatory stuff so I started to be like okay and I kind of went crazy for a little while where like I was milking my own almonds and then cultivating my own yogurt and then like you know getting fruit from a farmer I knew and knew was clean and then I would like make that into jam with no sugar and then that's how we had breakfast (laughs) you know like it was like a 48 hour homesteading project right somewhere along the way I got tired of how difficult this all was I decided that we needed to have a treat in our life we needed a little bit of joy again everything had been so hard and Mm -hmm. but I needed it to fit into our dietary restrictions so I went in the kitchen and I was like we could eat like honey and maple syrup and dark chocolate that was made with like coconut sugar Mm -hmm. and it was really really epically uh just epic debauchery at that point yeah and we (laughs) all of them together yeah all of them together (laughs) i went in the kitchen and i was like i'm gonna make something that tastes really good like i i don't want just like kale and lentils which was yummy but like i want something like very decadent and yummy and so I went and I pulled out all these nuts and all these things that we could eat, everything that was on our diet, but the yummiest that I could do. And I didn't know what I was making. And I put it in the oven and I pulled it out and it turned out to kind of be like a snack bar. But I never ate snack bars. So I I wasn't trying to make one. I just didn't know what I was making. Right. You were just following your intuition again. Yeah, again, exactly. And then I, I took it out and I put it down on the table and like 30 of them were gone in like five minutes and I was like oh wow 
that's cool. Mm. And then I was like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't write down a recipe. Like, I, I better figure out like, what did I what do? Did I do? Yeah. <laughs> so, so then I kept starting to go back in the kitchen to try to make it again and again and again. And they, they just kept disappearing. And then we started bringing them because, like, you know, we'd go to birthday parties, right? We were trying not to be too isolated. And we'd go to birthday parties and, like, everybody's eating blue cake and we're eating, like, kale and lentils in the corner. And so I started bringing these things, these snack bars with us. And other people would be like, what are you eating? And I'm like, no, no, go eat the blue cake. Like, you don't want this. This is, like, weird. Pretty soon people were like, can you make those for me? And I'd bring them one or two. And they were like, no, no, I want like 30. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll pay you. I just want them. And so I finally walked into a supermarket one day, this like fancy health food gourmet supermarket here in Los Angeles called Erwan. And I said, hey, you know, I know you got all this healthy stuff, but like these are really tasty and they're kind of yummier and um, they're kind of cleaner, actually. And so he tasted them and he was like, get that on the shelf. And I looked at him and I was like, so uh, wouldn't I have to be a company? Right. And he was what, like, do, what do I do next? Yeah. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, you know, how do you, how do you do that? And he goes, figure it out. And you know what happens to me if somebody challenges me by now. Right. <laughs> so I was like, I'm starting a company. <laughs> so, so that's, that's what happened. Right. Yeah. But you weren't going to be satisfied with just one endeavor, right? Well, what happened was, the snack bar thing went crazy. So the Yes Bar, it's called the Yes Bar, and they're amazing and delicious, and everybody wanted them, and they grew and grew and grew, and after three years, I was like, oh my God, I can't cook for my own family anymore because I'm too busy selling Yes Bars. And so I realized that my my deepest goals of family and my children was I wasn't able to live it quite enough. So I realized I needed partners because Yes Bar wanted to live. I kind of liken it to like, it was like I had a kid who was like this had this incredible arm and I know not, like not enough about baseball. Mm-hmm. It's like I raised him to the point where I was like, I need to get you a coach now because like that arm needs more than mommy can provide. Right, right. <laughs> this mommy. So I, uh, it just kept growing. And so finally I met with these two wonderful guys, Jeremy and Brennan, and um, I love them. And I was looking for a partner for a whole year and tried three different times. And finally I met Jeremy and Brennan and I was like, We'd met once before, like a while before, and then I called them and I was like, take my company, please. And that was it. It just, uh, they took it over and now we're partners and they handle all the operations and it has allowed me to get back to my love, which at that point was spending time with my family. And I realized um, it was sort of interesting as I was growing this whole food business, it's kind of hard to explain this because it was all overlapping, but as I was growing this food business, I had in those early days of parenting, I was really struggling. I remember my husband would like go to work to go right and he would leave in the morning and the baby would be screaming and crying and wanting to nurse and my toddler would be hitting already and it was like not even nine. And I remember thinking like, sure, go work, no problem because I've got this because this is my job, right? (laughs) You know? And I remember thinking, I don't got this. You know, and that feeling was so horrible and Mm. really touched me deeply. And I kept looking for all these parenting solutions and I couldn't find anything. And then I, I would try things and everything ultimately left me feeling like there was something wrong with me because it didn't work or there was something wrong with my kids, right? Like, especially my oldest son, because my youngest was just still like really like two months old, you know, I don't know how old, but very little. 
And so I kept thinking, my my darling sweet boy, like something was wrong with him. Mm-hmm. You know, it even occurred to me, I thought like maybe in the heart surgery, like some oxygen didn't get to his brain. Like, you know, he's he's feeling aggressive and like this isn't normal. And, right. you know, he was having a hard time. I hadn't known how to ease that transition into another child mm-hmm. um, for him. I wasn't equipped as a mom yet. It's so sad to say, but it was so true. I was suddenly faced with this lack of skill. Like I had all the love in the world. I loved my children and I thought that would be enough. I thought I'm this conscious loving person. I love my kids. I want my kids. My husband and I are happy together. Like how could this go wrong? Right. But it was. Ultimately, I wound up quite literally standing, uh, sitting down on my couch, tears running down my face thinking, I'm going to go to a psychiatrist for my son. Like he's not even three and I'm considering putting him on medication because like I couldn't figure out how to deal with his violent outbursts. And, right. and he's a good boy. He's a really sweet, good boy. Right. But I was using traditional parenting ne- techniques. So he would cry and have these violent outbursts. He'd hit his brother and I would get angry and mad and put him down in his room and right. I'd say like when you calm down you can come back you know and none of this worked for him this was enraging him mm, got worse um, oh my gosh and and that made me feel so depleted and like such a failure and it was just this vicious cycle and so I was t- sitting there thinking okay I guess we're going to try medicine which was like so not anything I ever wanted to do like it felt so wrong in my body but I was so desperate right and somebody had mentioned hand-in-hand parenting to me. And I thought, yeah, that and the lullaby, I'll get my kids to sleep, right? You know, <laughs> I had two non-sleepers. I really thought, like, wow, like, this is not going to work. This is crazy. This and, is just... and what is hand-in-hand parenting? Um, well, I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. I just had heard it was really this special parenting approach, mm-hmm. right? And I thought, oh, great. That's for people with perfect children, you <laughs> know? Right. Easy children. (laughs) Yeah. And I picked up the phone and I thought, well, I'll just call. Like, I'll call. Like, this is my last effort. Like, I'm going to fill out this form for the psychiatrist. But like, before I hit send, just going to pick up the phone. Right. And I called and there was this man on the other end of the line. And first, that was crazy enough. I was Mm -hmm. like, a man? Like, you know? Right. He was the kindest voice I had ever met. And I called and I said something like, um, I think I just need a little help. Mm-hmm. And he just was so present and listened to me. And I was like, well, aren't you going to try to sell me something? Or like, aren't you going to tell me you can't listen to me? Like, I didn't know what was going on. And he just kept listening to me. And he kept telling me I was a good parent and that my boy was good. And I was like, what? You don't even know me. Mm. And I wanted so badly to to know that I was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You and, needed to hear that. Yeah, and that he was good. And that somebody could see that was so profoundly healing because we were good. We were just lost, right. you know? But we right. weren't bad. And we had every reason to be lost after everything we'd been through. You know, right. in the midst of all of that craziness, my dad had up and died out of nowhere. Like, I mean, it was just like such a crazy time for us. So then I thought, this was a very interesting conversation. And he, I thought, this man knows things about the world that I don't know. Right. He's got a, he's and, got a code. Yeah. And he, 
he talked to me and it was my first introduction to hand in hand and he um, shared with me that they had these tools for listening to kids and that you know the power of that kind of work and I was literally feeling it firsthand and I thought again my intuition was just like it was like this it was like I couldn't hear anything else all Mm. I heard was yes you know just shut up to myself right Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. don't no more questions just say yes to this man which is so opposite of what you were really saying to your son before which was a lot of no yeah yeah oh you say that my heart breaks (sighs) well all of us do it (laughs) yeah yeah that day was the last day that I didn't know how to parent Somebody seeing me and believing in me turned on this fire in me that allowed me to believe in myself. And and I did. I worked with a hand-in-hand consultant right away. I worked with this wonderful woman, and she taught me all the tools that I needed to know from hand-in-hand. It was like it was like water going into something like very thirsty. Like right. I just I just completely soaked this up. Right. It just, it made sense to me on a cellular level. It was like everything I had been missing, Mm. you know? It was like a puzzle piece. Like I'd kept trying to fit myself into all these other puzzles and it like never went. And suddenly I like, I just like got put into this puzzle and it was like every nook and cranny was perfect, Mm. you know? Wow. (laughs) And I just thought, oh my God, this is what it feels like to be held. Mm. That must have felt so healing for you. Oh, it was amazing. And it it just became this experience that then because I knew what it felt like, I was really able to transmit that to my children. Hmm. And I was able to be that force for good in their life, right? And it just changed the entire idea of what parenting is for me, hmm. you know? I wasn't a parent like trying to corral these kids anymore and make sure naps happen and snack happen and you know do this and make sure they grow up to be like good people and listen and learn manners and you know what it wasn't that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now what I was, was kind of the central idea? I became engaged in this fascinating intellectual, emotional what for me, you know, hand in hand is not a spiritual organization, right? It's very practical based actionable tools. But for me, it became a spiritual journey. Mm. And so parenting now was, wow, how could I get myself so deeply grounded that I could be this benevolent leader and lead from a place of pure love and light? And like, I became obsessed with this idea of becoming clean. Mm. Yeah, you've used that word several times. I wasn't triggered. I wasn't getting re-stimulated by my old hurts. I wasn't parenting from this place of like, you need to do something because I can't handle my reaction to the choice you are making right now, Mm -hmm. right? Which is what so much of parenting is, right? It wasn't that anymore because I was like, oh, I can handle myself. I know how to take care of myself. I know the places I can go when I need to have big feelings. And I know I'm going to be taken care of. And because we create these things in Hand in Hand Partner, uh, parenting called listening partnerships, where we join with another parent on the journey and help support each other on a weekly basis. That's where we get to bring our messy stuff. So that's just another parent. 
it's just another parent. The first time I decided to do it and I was like, oh, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm doing this. I called this woman. She lived in Alabama. I'd never met her. And I was like, hi, um, so should we try it? Yep. <laughs> it was so awkward. And she wound up being this unbelievable, amazing person in my life. And we had such different lives. And it was so healing for that too. Cause it's like somebody normally, you know, we might not have connected. And it was so beautiful to go through this experience as mothers together. So it was very healing in so many ways for me personally. To not feel alone in this journey of motherhood. I think so much of the time as a mother, we can feel very alone, you know? And for fathers too, who stay at home, right? Like, especially even worse for fathers because then it's like, they're alone and they're like, not doing the typical role that a dad does in most cases. And so then now they're just stuck with a bunch of moms who don't know how to deal with them. And like, you know, it's just, it's even worse for the dads who are the stay at home dads, right? Sure. But parenting can be an extraordinarily lonely enterprise. Yep, and I'm sure everybody faces that at one time or another. Yeah, and your children are needing so much from you. So if you don't know how to stay grounded and centered, you can't be that benevolent leader. And then you're just asking for compliance and you're angry when your children don't respect you or they're not complying or doing what you ask and doing what you say. And then you resort to all sorts of coercive parenting methods, which is what normal things are. And here I was learning this, these very simple tools, you know, hand in hand is very like basic about it. They're like, look, this is just an actionable tool. It works, try it, see if it works for you, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like this spiritual revelation. Like I... I just couldn't believe like this was everything I had ever wanted. I have a moment of memory when I was about three, watching the grown-ups around me fight. And I remember I made a promise to myself when I was about that age where I thought, I'm not going to do this this way. I'm going to help create a world where people can communicate. Mm. That was why it was so painful for me when my family wasn't working, because I was like, no, no, this can't happen. That's my... It's like my silent promise I made to myself, like I'm breaking it, right? Yeah. And I think that's true for so many parents, right? We have a silent promise we made to ourselves about what parenthood would feel like. And mm. then if it doesn't live up to that, the pain is epic. It's deep. Ultimately, I wound up using the hand-in-hand -hand tools to heal my family, but that was not enough for me. Uh, at that time, my business, my snack bar business was growing and growing and growing. And I was like, I would be at these snack bar expos helping introduce people to the yes bar which i adore but ultimately a parent would come by and i'd be like let's talk about parenting mm. <laughs> they'd ultimately like wind up in the back of my booth with me hugging them and teaching them and like you know they'd call me later and be like you changed my life and i was like wait a minute i need to do this mm. and so i still work with yes bar and i still run it with jeremy and brennan but i went back to hand in hand and i said listen I need to be a hand-in-hand -hand instructor for the rest of my life. Like, this is what I need to do. I This knowledge you have imbued me with is, to me, it became everything. It became not only a way for me to share what I had learned, and I know so deeply the pain of what I felt in those years, and mm -hmm. I see it in other people's eyes sometimes. How can you not share something that would make someone's life easier and make their dreams come true. But but not everybody wants that process, so it's only right for the people that it's right for. But when it's right, it's just the most amazing gift to be able to give to someone. Right, like it was for, your, yeah. for you. To me, I feel like if we raise children really listening to them and learning to co-create with them and not involved in power struggles with them, they don't grow up needing to 
power struggle the world. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They can grow up learning to co-create with other people and other businesses and other nations. And to have someone be really different and still respect them. Mm. My greatest political act is to wake up every morning and help parents co-create a life that works for both the parent and the child. And so are you doing that now as a hand-to-hand instructor? Yes, I'm a hand in, I'm a certified hand-in-hand parenting mm-hmm. instructor, but I my company is called Real-Time Parenting. Mm. And I created Real-Time Parenting because I do teach hand-in-hand parenting, and it is the underpinning of everything I teach. But as I said, for me, it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. And so I really like to take people through this really deep process of you know, not just teaching the tools, but also doing lots of other work that I bring into it. I love this idea of spinning straw into gold. And so now I do that not just for myself, but for other people as well. Yeah. I take their hand and go through it with them. Right. How has the experience of parenting your sons and starting the new businesses that we just talked about as a result, how has that transformed you? Well, I mean, talk about co-creation, right? They come into my life, and essentially on some level, they've started these two businesses. Like, each of my sons started a business for me. And a message, I mean, beyond a business, a message, my place in the world. I feel like having my children, each of them tapped into a deep mission that I have in this world to make it a more beautiful place in what I feel it makes it more beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. My gifts... I'm very grateful to them. I've been very, very obviously inspired by them. I'm also inspired as a mother to leave a future world that's better. Mm. When I look at my boys and I see them growing up and they're now almost nine and 10, and I realize they're not that far from being men in the world. Mm -hmm. And I want to help do everything I can every day to wake up to make the world better. Again, my idea of better. Sure. Um, And what were you doing before you started down this path that basically started on the day that you (laughs) had that ultrasound and found out? I was a a voiceover artist for 25 years. So I used to do commercials and animation and audiobook narration and... Yeah, and I, it, I had a great life. I was a performer. I used to be a screenwriter for five years. So public speaking and storytelling are very much a part of my life. And so now I get to use those skills when I teach, and I get to use those skills in communicating with people. So that's kind of the through line, is those those skills that you used in that previous yeah. life and that you're you're still using now. It's literally an actual through line. Like, it looks totally different Mm -hmm. at any age in my life, but it's that same promise I made to myself when I was three. I will learn to communicate, and I will help other people communicate, and I will be a facilitator. Mm -hmm. I feel like the way a mathematician looks at a a problem and like they can like look at a board of numbers and everyone else just sees a jumble of numbers and they look and they see this beautiful formula. Mm -hmm. That's what happens for me with relationships Mm. and especially the parent-child relationship. People just see the jumble of the day-to-day and they get confused and and I I just see something very clear. It's almost like a a crystallization, Mm. which again, I didn't used to see, right? But it's almost like a 
it's like an intuitive message. It's like it, it writes itself in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain. Right. It's like, why does a chef suddenly know I've got to throw thyme in that soup? Right. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like a great chef just knows, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. No, don't put the celery in yet. Right. 30 right. seconds from now will be perfect. Right. So you're in the midst of launching a podcast. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I'm so excited. (laughs) Again, I get to bring my voiceover world and my parenting world together. I am launching the official Hand in Hand Parenting Podcast, which is beautiful because, again, Hand in Hand has done so much for my life. And so so it's so amazing for me to be able to now take my gifts and my knowledge in that world and put it all together and then help them create this podcast and help further their mission and message. And so what's the focus and the the format? Our focus is it's me and Elle Kwan, who's in Hong Kong. She's um, an expat Brit. And she uh, and I every week take a look at um, a typical parenting situation that we all find ourselves in, like your kid just smacked you across the face in the supermarket, you know, something, right? Right. You know, many of us have experienced at some point or other, right, some form of it. And then we talk about what what's really going on there, mm-hmm. right? And what are the typical ways parents respond and what happens? And, and then we talk about what's the hand-in-hand perspective on that? And what mm-hmm. are some thoughts that hand-in-hand would love for people to consider in that moment? And what's a tool that we could use from hand-in-hand? And then we look at it like that. And then it's really us sharing our experience of motherhood and the wonderings of like why we're sometimes loath to use that hand in hand tool and it feels so much better to just like punish or you know mm-hmm. and and what is it you know how how can you use those things and what is it what it, what who do you need to be to be able to use them and all of that and so every week we teach a little bit of hand in hand but we're also just showing up as moms sharing our own experiences and our own vulnerabilities and things that we figured out and things we're still wondering about and things that we figured out for ourselves but might not work for you but try it you yeah, know and yeah get some um, more some tools that people can do. yeah and what's the name of the podcast it's called the hand in hand parenting podcast okay yeah good so in closing what are the resources that you're really counting on these days what is helping you to get on with your life Wow, what a question. Love is definitely my fuel. Mm-hmm. I wake up every day filled with tremendous love. I am really fueled by what's going on um, in our country. Um, really makes me feel like I have a job that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Like it's not optional. Right. It's always optional, but it doesn't feel optional. It feels burning. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming in to talk with me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure, Diane. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thank you, Abigail, for speaking with me about your adventures in parenting and telling us about your new endeavor, the Hand in Hand Parenting Podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Real with Diane McDaniel, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know why you listened and what you like about The Real Podcast. Please rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. Follow Real on Facebook at Real with Diane McDaniel 
and on Twitter at RealThePodcast. Reach us at RealThePodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. Thanks for listening.